As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The details of this case are very difficult to hear. Extreme child abuse and child murder are involved. This one won't be for everybody. There are far more audio clips than narration in this episode. It is a one-off and won't be a regular thing in the future. The courtroom confession is detailed and horrific. Listener discretion is advised. Calling case number 1556881, the people of the state of Michigan versus Michelle, Angela, Blair. Ms. Blair is charged in this case, count one, child abuse, first degree. Felony, life for any term of years. Count two, child abuse, first degree. Felony, life for any term of years. Count three, child abuse, first degree. Felony, life for any term of years. Count four, child abuse, first degree, life for any term of years. Count five, child abuse, first degree, committed in the presence of another child. Felony, life for any term of years. State your name, please. Thank you. This story takes place in Detroit, Michigan, at Martin Luther King Homes, a low-income public housing complex containing 312 units, located on St. Alban Street. At 11.30am on Tuesday the 24th of March 2015, an eviction crew from the Wayne County Sheriff's Office attended Unit 804 in the Martin Luther King Complex. The bailiffs were there to evict the tenant, Michelle Blair, who lived there with her four children, her two daughters aged 17 and 13, and her two sons aged 9 and 8. Michelle was described as a nice, friendly person. Her kids were described as polite and respectful. Sometime around 2012, Michelle had pulled all four of her kids out of school, opting to homeschool them instead. It was around 2014 when neighbours started to notice that they hadn't seen Michelle's 13-year-old daughter, Stoney Blair, or her nine-year-old son, Stephen Berry, for a while. 
Michelle explained that they had been spending a lot of time with an auntie and that when they were back at home, they didn't really like going out and being around people. They preferred to stay inside. Michelle had been living at a unit for the last 10 years. She was unemployed, receiving a government benefit. She had money issues and she hadn't paid her rent. That's why she was being evicted. She owed $2,206. Michelle knew she was getting evicted. She had been served the notice and had seen the dumpsters delivered out the front where the eviction crew planned to throw all of the stuff. Michelle didn't really want to be there when the eviction crew arrived. So she arranged to stay with a friend who also lived in the same housing complex. She took her eldest daughter and her youngest son with her to her friend's house, explaining that her other two children were with their aunt. The eviction crew arrived and knocked on Michelle's door. They got no answer. So they forced entry and started the eviction process. They were met with a disgraceful mess of a unit with rubbish and food scraps all over the floor, items of clothing and other junk thrown around everywhere. The conditions were described as barely livable. The eviction crew got to work clearing out the furniture of the house and they came across a chest freezer. They opened it up to see what was inside. Eleven thirty, seventh precinct. Received a call. Officers assigned to call from Bailiff, who was in this complex among the King Homes, uh, conducting an eviction. And it was during that eviction process that they discovered two young children uh, in a freezer. Further investigation revealed that uh, it appeared to be two a male who we're saying is approximately 11 years old and a female 14 years old inside of a plastic bag appeared to be frozen. The eviction crew opened the chest freezer and located the frozen body of Michelle's 13-year-old daughter, Stoney Blair. That's when they called 911. It wasn't until shortly after that they realised there was a second body underneath. Michelle's nine-year-old son, Stephen Berry. Michelle Blair was also known by her nickname, Angel, described as a nice, friendly person by her neighbours. Her Facebook profile read, loyal to my babies, and there is no greater blessing than being called a mum. Michelle Blair had some serious questions to answer, and it didn't take long for police to catch up with her. We were fortunate yesterday that a member of our community stopped our investigators and led us to the location where we found and arrested the mother of the two children found dead in her apartment. Our homicide team continues to work diligently to bring some closure to both family and their friends. The medical examiner will be performing autopsies in the next day. And at that time, we will know the cause of death of these two children. As you can imagine, this is a very complex case. While we all understand your desire and the desire to know more about what happened in the home, I will ask you to be mindful of the two children who are also in the home that are still alive. 
Her two surviving children were taken into protective custody while police got to work trying to find out what happened. A background check showed that between the years 2002 and 2005, Michelle Blair had been investigated on two separate occasions for allegations of child abuse. The abuse claims were substantiated. Her punishment was counselling. She was allowed to keep custody of her children. As part of the investigation, Michelle's surviving children were interviewed. What they detailed was a real-life house of horrors. Both of them were physically beaten by Michelle. They were regularly whipped with an extension cord and hit with a piece of wood. Both had also been burnt with an iron. At the time they were taken by child services, both kids had numerous scars and injuries. Her son had 25 different scars on his back alone. There was clear medical evidence to back up their story that they were the victims of prolonged physical abuse from their mother. Michelle was initially only charged with child abuse. This was because the police had to wait for the results of the autopsy to determine exactly how the children died. And the autopsy was delayed as they had to allow the bodies to thaw out before it could be conducted. Michelle was arraigned two days later, Thursday the 26th of March. She was charged with four counts of first degree child abuse, which is punishable by 15 years in prison. She was also charged with one count of committing child abuse in the first degree in the presence of another child. That carries a life sentence. Her bond was set at $1 million. Within a week, the autopsies had been completed. The conclusion, there was no doubt. Stoney Blair and Stephen Berry had been murdered. Michelle's charges were upgraded to two counts of felony murder, two counts of premeditated murder, and one count of torture. Stephen Berry was killed around the 30th of August, 2012. Stoney Blair was killed about nine months later in May, 2013. Both had been left in the freezer until the eviction crew found them in March, 2015. How didn't anybody notice Stoney and Stephen missing? Well, some neighbours did notice that they hadn't seen them for a while, but when they asked the question, they believed Michelle's story that they spent a lot of time with an aunt. And when they were home, they didn't like to go outside. No alarm bells were raised at school because they didn't go there in the first place. Their fathers hadn't seen them for several years, so they didn't notice either. Sadly, Stoney and Stephen were able to go missing for two years and nobody did anything other than ask a passing question as to where they were. Nobody asked any real questions or looked closely at all. It took an eviction crew to find them in the freezer before anybody realised they were really gone. And the whole time the kids were in the freezer, Michelle continued to accept government benefits for them. Michelle was subjected to numerous evaluations by doctors and psychiatrists to make sure she was competent to stand trial and that she could be held criminally responsible for her actions. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. But Michelle didn't want to wait for those reports. She just wanted to plead guilty. She tried numerous times to plead guilty and have the matter finalized, but the court wouldn't allow it straight away. The court needed to make sure everything was done properly. They had possible future appeals in mind. They wouldn't accept the plea until all doctors' evaluations were officially on record. To my understanding, to get a trial is to get to the truth, right? I'm already saying that I did it. I'm freely giving myself and accepting life in prison. So I'm already giving myself to you like, hey, I did this, what's the problem? I'm not going to come back like, oh, I didn't understand my rights. I'm not a coward. You get what I'm saying? I don't have that second report from Dr. Shiner yet. Okay? The forensics one is not good enough? No, that's why we, re- we requested an independent, too. Okay? Now, my understanding is that his evaluation is complete, but we just don't have it yet. These are some very serious charges and very. I understand all of them. If y'all, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. I've confessed three times. I'm not going to stop saying what I did. You get what I'm saying? I understand. These are very serious charges with very serious consequences. If you were to plead guilty to a first degree murder charge, that is life in prison without the possibility of parole. I know this. I'm happily saying life in prison. If you had death penalty, I would take that. I don't care. That's my baby. Period. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not changing anything. I don't need the week to think about it. When all doctors' reports were eventually placed onto the record, the court made a ruling that Mitchell was competent to stand trial and she could be held criminally responsible for her actions. As such, if she now wanted to plead guilty, the court would accept it. Mitchell wasn't insane. She knew exactly what she was doing and understood the consequences of her actions. Michelle pled guilty straight away. During her guilty plea, she described the how and why of what she did. Just a warning, the following clip is very graphic in detail and may not be suitable for all listeners. All right, Ms. Blair, we're here today because you've indicated that you want to plead guilty to two of the counts that are identified in the information, since much of today's proceeding will be a dialogue between me and you, the first thing I'm gonna do is swear you in. 
Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give today will be the truth? Yes. Thank you. What is your name, ma'am? Michelle Blair. Ms. Blair, how old are you? 36. Are you a United States citizen? Yes. Okay. Now, the information I have before me is that you want to plead guilty to count two, the premeditated murder of Stoney Blair. Yes. And count three, the felony murder of Stephen Barry. Yes. Okay. I'm, am I correct that you want to plead guilty to those counts? Yes. Okay. You understand that if I accept a guilty plea, you'll be subject to a mandatory sentence of life in the Michigan Department of Corrections without the possibility of parole for both cases. I understand. Okay. You understand Michigan does not have the death penalty? I do now. Okay. Ms. Blair, what did you do to Stoney Blair that makes you guilty of premeditated murder? She raped my son. I intentionally killed her. How did you do that? Um, starting from the beginning, when I found out about what Stoney was doing to Matthew, it was nine months later after finding out about Stephen. So for the whole nine months we were in the house, she was still raping my child. I did not know that. When I first found out, after Maddie told me, um, I took a minute because I was not understanding, you know, what was, that she did that to him. But um, I repeatedly punched her. On many occasions, my son, I told him to tell me every single thing she did to him. So as she was telling me, he was telling me more and more things that she did. I assaulted her every time he told me what she did to him. Um, by assault, I mean, I punched her. I have put a bag over her head till she lost consciousness. Um, I threw hot water on her, scalding hot water from the faucet. Um, Did you hit her in the head with a wooden yes, stick? Yes, I hit her in her head multiple times, over and over. Was that shortly before she died? That was actually the day before she died and the day she died. Okay. Um, I hit her on her back. It's like with her tailbone. Um, I kicked her. Okay, I just want to clarify a few things. And perhaps you don't know, but did this happen on or about May 25th, 2014? May, May 25th is actually the day she died. Well, the day I killed her. And you said you killed her by putting a grocery bag over her head? Yes. Um, that day, Maddie would tell me different things because she was doing this to him for years. And I did not know that. You get what I'm saying? And I didn't find out till nine months later. She had started with Steven. She ruined my son, okay? She started with Steven before he even started. So, yes, I put a bag over her head, but... um. It got worse that day. Yes, I did. It got worse that day because Matthew would tell me how she would take her pad, her menstrual pad, and squeeze her blood out in his mouth, okay? And it was just, it was over with after that. It was over with. You meant to kill her? I definitely meant to kill her. Okay. It wasn't an accident? No, not at all. Okay. If I had a chance to do it again, I would. When you went and got the grocery bag, suffocated her. That was your intent? Yes. Um, she was standing in the bathtub. I was throwing hot water on her. My son was standing to my right outside the bathroom door, and 
he was telling me everything he was telling me. I looked at her and I'm like, you did this? And she was like, yes. So I actually had a stick and I was hitting her in the head. Every time he told me something, I hit her very hard in her head and I was throwing hot water on her. And when I actually took her out of the bathroom, I took her back in her room and I just kept staring at her and I said, excuse my language, but I'm like, why the fuck would you do this to him? I'm just like, you know, I'm constantly asking her. She kept saying, I hate him. And I'm like, you hate him? You know? And she admitted to me that she hated Gabrielle, she hated Steven, she hated everybody. And I'm asking her why. She says, that everybody always think Matthew's so cute. And I'm like, so you fuck your brother because you get what I'm saying. So it's, I meant to, I definitely meant to. And I do not feel any remorse for what I did to Stoney. Cause she had no remorse for what she did to my son. It's not only raped him, she gang raped him with Steven. Matthew Ross sitting on the floor and he was telling me, this is how I found out about both of them doing it together. But it was too late, Steven was gone. But Matthew told me that Stoney would actually make him sit there, why? In his words, him and Stoney, her and Stoney did the nasty stuff and then they did it to him. And so I'm, this was that's your way of inflicting punishment? Definitely. Okay. Where did that happen? What? Where did it? The death. Her actual death? Yes. Um, I, I Not the location of the house. Where did you live at the time? Oh, 804 St. Albany Street. Is that in the city of Detroit? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Can we ask Ms. Blair if she ever actually saw or witnessed any of these acts with regard to Stoney? Okay. Yeah. Did it? Did you ever actually see anything of any sexual abuse of any kind between either Stephen and Stoney and Matthew? I reject her question, but I will answer it because no one will say that this did not happen because it actually did. I just wanted to have a clear record. Because so far, all you've told me was that you just heard it. Did you ever and that they admitted it. it. No, I did okay. not. You okay. get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I understand. But as I went back in my head and thought back to all the many things that was wrong with Matthew over the years, and I'm like, that's what was wrong with you? He used the bathroom and said, Mom, my butt hurts when I poop. I don't know, Matthew. So I started giving him 100% juice to make his stool softer, maybe to help him use but it, That wasn't the problem. It wasn't his stool. It was that he was being raped, okay? My son looked me in my eyes and he gave me a very detailed account of everything they did. Matthew is not a violent boy. He is a very sweet little boy. So for him to stand there and look at me and say, do it again, he was hurting. You know? Okay. At a certain point, I told him to stop talking. I said, Stoney, you tell me what the fuck you did to my son. And I said, Matthew, if she's saying things that's not right, tell me. She started telling me many things, many things. And I also asked her, so why didn't Stephen tell me that when I asked him, did anybody do this to him? Why didn't he tell me that you did it to him? Because Stoney was going upstairs, beating Stephen's ass, threatening him. Basically, at a certain point after I was hitting Stephen, I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to, I didn't want to look at him. So I told him to go to his room. When it came time to eat, I didn't want to take no food up. So I sent Stoney up because she volunteered not knowing at that time that Stoney was raping either of them. 
But every time she went upstairs, I wouldn't have known if she hit him or not because I had put many bruises on him. So every time she went upstairs, she admitted to me that she was hitting him also, knocking the hell out of him, telling him, you better not tell her nothing. Okay. You get what I'm saying? I understand. When she admitted these things to you, were you always being physical with her? The first time, no. We were sitting there. Okay. She denied it, denied it, denied it constantly. I'm like, Stoney, you better tell me the fucking truth. Matthew's sitting here. He don't know nothing about it. He constantly, you get what I'm saying? Who would admit that? Who would admit that if they did not do it? Okay. All right, tell me what happened to Stephen. Um, basically the same thing. Can I ask you a question first? The people standing behind me, this woman who just asked the question, is she trying to make it seem like this did not happen? No, 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 we just have to have a clear record. Okay. This is moment. your time to talk, go ahead. Well, all we're trying to do is just make sure that the record is clear, okay? And so, don't worry about behind you. Just do what the truth is. I mean, right now, <coughs> ma'am, this is just you choosing to plead guilty. The people do not have any sort of plea agreement. Yeah, because, you know, it's like I'm willing to take a, a polygraph test. It's like, because I understand people don't want to hear me, period, but I'm willing to take it on everything. I'm to you. Tell me what happened to Stephen. Um, I came home one day. My daughter, Gabrielle, my oldest, met me at the door, and she's like, Mom, come see what Maddie's doing with his dials. And I'm like, what is he doing? He was making one dial, his little wrestleman, hump on top of the other. No, I'm like, Maddie, why was you doing that? I said, anybody ever do this to you? He said, no. I said, then why are you doing that? And he said, yes, Stephen did. And I was like, so this is the first I'm hearing about that period. This was nine months before Stoney. Okay, Stoney wasn't downstairs, and I, she was always in the background. I wish to God I had questioned everybody together, but I didn't. Did you say this was around August 30th, 2012? No, this was before August 30th. August 30th is when he died. Okay. This was when, maybe a week, a week and a half. Before he died? Yes. Okay. So that, Matthew telling you that set off some action? Yes, I went upstairs did, because Stephen was upstairs in him, his and Matthew's room, and I went upstairs and I said, Stephen... Matthew said you was humping on him. And then Stephen stood up and he looked at me and right then I could tell, I could tell something was wrong in his face because he was just like this. Ain't normal kid. I know my kid would have been like, what? That's not what he did. He stood up and looked at me like he had lost his mind. Okay? And it, it just hearing that from him had me fucked up in my head, period. But I asked him, I said, Stephen, tell me the fucking truth. Was you humping on Matthew? He said, yes, but that was all. And I said, did you hump on him with your underwear off? He said, no. Matthew yelled out, yes, he did. And I just remember going in the hallway, walking back and forth, like, and I walked back up and I was like, you fucked your brother. You, you, know what I'm, you fucked your brother. So I'm looking at them too. I'm looking at them like, what? I can't understand. So I started punching Steven. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the fuck is you doing to him? I just, I just started asking him questions. Matthew, at this point, is just spilling out. He's just spilling out. And mom, and he's doing like this, and he's doing this thing almost every night. He's telling me how he was, we not put bags over Stephen's head. Because we had Maddie, I thought Maddie peed in the bed. My son was never a bad water. Didn't know it was Stephen waking up every morning, pissing on Matthew like he was a damn piece of shit, okay? They had bunk beds. Stephen would get out the bed, 
in the middle of the night, you rape him in his own bed, you pee on him instead of going to the bathroom. I'm waking up every morning thinking Matthew's a bedwetter. So we just wash him up and go, you, you, you're a bedwetter. Let's so talk about what you did to Steven. The reason I put bags over Steven's head because my son told me that the plastic on his bed, because I thought he was a bedwetter, he said, sometimes, Mom, I couldn't breathe. Stephen was laying on me, and he had my face down in the plastic on the bed. I couldn't breathe, and he was humping on my butt like a basketball. That's when I got garbage bag and started putting it over Stephen's head, and I started asking him, bitch, you know what I'm saying? You see what this feel like? You can't breathe? You stop my... That's my son. You could not breathe on top of getting ready. He was six years old at the time. You get what I'm saying? So I put a bag over his head. He lost consciousness. I did that a couple times. Um, he told me that Matty, Matty would be face down. He had stuff around his neck. So I grabbed Steven and I grabbed a belt and I put a belt around his neck and I lifted him up. Like, do you like how this feels being choked with a belt? So I dropped him. I held him up until he lost consciousness as well. You were intending to... No, I did not intend to kill Steven. No, but... no, no. I'm not... Listen to my question. You were intending to inflict serious physical harm, but not kill him. Definitely. Okay. Did you also punch him? Yes, I did. Multiple also times. Him? Yes, I did. You talked about choking him. Did you also burn him? Yes, I did. Okay, how did you do that? Hot water. Scalding hot water. Okay, again, you knew you were seriously harming him, but you didn't intend to murder him. No. But your actions ultimately caused his death. Yes, they did. Okay. Were you Stephen's mother? Yes. He was in your custody? I don't claim him as my son now, and I do not claim Stoney as my daughter. I have two children. That's it. Stephen and Stoney are demons. Period. Listen to my question. At the time he died, he was in your custody or care? Yes. How old was he? Stephen was nine. And again, did this happen at your house in the city of Detroit? Yes. What you did to Steven was punishment for what you did to Maddie. Is that right? For what he did to Maddie. Oh, sorry. Yes. For what Steven did to yes. Maddie. That was punishment. Right. And if I had killed Steven intentionally, I definitely would be proud to say I did. You weren't allowing them to treat your other children like this, were you? What do you mean? You weren't allowing them to sexually assault. No, I wasn't allowing that. The, the, I did. I never knew. That's exactly, you get what I'm saying? That's exactly what I wanted to know. You didn't know until afterwards. So, man, I don't regret none of this. I don't regret any of it. Matthew is my son. That's my baby. There's no way that his brother and sister should know what he feels like on the inside. There's no way. Understood. I don't feel no remorse for the death of them demons. Okay. All right. I'm going to accept the plea unless either counsel's dissatisfied with the testimony that was just provided by Ms. Blair. I believe there's a sufficient factual basis to accept the plea at this point. Her claims that both Stoney and Stephen were sexually assaulting her youngest son were never substantiated. The reason she says she reacted so violently was that she herself was sexually assaulted when she was younger. She reported the assault to her mum and her mum failed to do anything about it. Her mother's failure to protect her affected her for the rest of her life. 
It led her to tell her own kids that if anybody ever touched them, to tell her about it straight away so she could do something. When her youngest son reported to her that he was assaulted by Stoney and Stephen, she reacted. Alexander Dorsey was the father of Stoney Blair and the surviving 17-year-old girl. He hadn't seen either of his children for two years prior. He says that Mitchell barred him from the home. He had a prior criminal history and he actually owed $39,000 in child support. It was deemed that he failed to protect the children from an unfit home environment where the children were physically abused, tortured and murdered. He was not allowed custody of his surviving daughter. Stephen Berry Sr. was the father of Stephen Berry and to the surviving eight-year-old boy. He last saw his children three years prior. He also says that Michelle prevented him from seeing them. He owed $10,000 in child support payments. He also had a criminal record and it was also deemed that he neglected to protect his children from an abusive environment. He was not awarded custody either. Both surviving children lived in absolute terror and will need extensive trauma therapy and counselling. The eight-year-old boy was displaying problems with his neurological development due to the horror he experienced every day. Although Alexander Dorsey was not awarded custody, unlike Stephen Berry Sr, he actually retained his parental right. And the judge did this for good reason. If he removed Dorsey's parental right, then his daughter would only qualify for services until she was 19 years old. But by keeping Dorsey's parental right intact, she qualifies for services until she is 20. By services, they're talking about helping her go to college, classes to teach her to live independently, and obviously therapy. The court ruled it would be in her best interest to qualify for these services for an extra year. She mentioned that she wanted to go to college and become a veterinarian. The judge said it would be totally up to her what sort of relationship, if any, she wanted to have with Dorsey. Michelle Blair's parental rights to her two surviving children were terminated. She was sentenced on the 17th of July, 2015. You, despite what happened to you when you were a child, you had the opportunity to grow up. True. You had the opportunity to become an adult. You had the opportunity to make your own decisions with respect to running your own life. And you, you were blessed with four children. Stoney and Stephen are never going to have that. They don't have those same opportunities. And when I think about all of the possible joys that they could be missing out on, one thing that strikes me as the greatest tragedy here is that they will never know what a life is like without experiencing fearing their mother. They will never know the joy of what could have been in their life without having you in it. They lived in terrible fear of you. And I find that just so sad in this case. Uh, after all is said and done, you imposed the death penalty on your own children. I did. And you readily admit it, and you want to take responsibility of it. You're therefore sentenced to the Michigan Department of Corrections for the rest of your life without the possibility of parole, meaning, of course, that you will never get out.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 47 years ago, on a warm summer's night in Melbourne, Susan Bartlett and Suzanne Armstrong were stabbed to death in their home in Easy Street, Collingwood. Suzanne's 16-month-old son was asleep in his cot at the time. To this day, the Easy Street murders is still one of Australia's most confronting cold cases. No one has ever been charged, and critical questions remain unanswered. Journalist Helen Thomas has been investigating Susan and Suzanne's deaths for more than a decade, initially for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's background briefing program, and then for her book, Murder on Easy Street. Now Helen has delved into the case again for a brand new original podcast made for Casefile Presents. Search Casefile Presents The Easy Street Murders wherever you get your podcasts, or binge the entire series for free on the iHeartRadio app.